series is called God in the Flesh, which we will talk more about as we go through. You know, it's December. December is Christmas time. It's right there in the uh, title of Christmas, Christ. We call it the reason for the season, many people say. So what we're going to do is we want to slow down and really think about this thing we call the Incarnation. We want to slow down and really think about what it means for God to come in the flesh. And this sermon series might be a a challenge to some of us. It may stretch us. For others of us, it may may be like, well, wait a second, I know all this already. That's great. Um, Celebrate it if you already know it. Because this is something that we really need, again, to slow down and to think about. Because if we're going to celebrate Christmas, let's at least understand the Christ that we're saying we want to celebrate. All right? So our passage today comes from John chapter 1. If you would like to read along in a Bible, you're welcome to do that. But the, the passage should be there on the screen. And here's what the scriptures say from John 1, verses 1 through 3, and then verse 14. In the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then verse 14, And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let me pray for us. Father, these are words that stretch our imaginations. They give us a sense of wonder and awe when we really think about them. And at the same time, we've probably, many of us, have heard these words so many times it just washes over us like water off a duck's back. Lord, I pray that that would not be the case today, that today we would grapple and wrestle and stand in awe and wonder of who you are and what you have done for us in Christ And I pray not only for those of us who already believe, but even for those of us who do not, that today you would be at work, Holy Spirit, that you would draw people to yourself, that you would show more and more of who Jesus is and what lengths you have gone uh, to bring us into your family. Will you help us today, all of us, to rejoice in who Jesus is as God in the flesh And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I know it's uh, Christmas time, around Christmas time, and during this time of year, everybody has their favorite movies that they like to watch. Maybe it's It's a Wonderful Life, 
Maybe it's that uh, miracle on whatever street. I never watched that one. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, but I know it's a movie that everybody watches except for me. Uh, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's, it's just Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer that you watch every year. Who knows? But everybody has something that they watch every year. Now, for the Mazel family, we had some of those traditions, but there was one movie that wasn't a Christmas movie that we watched every year when I was younger. And I'm not sure why, but it, it was a movie that we watched every single year. It was The Wizard of Oz. It's not a Christmas movie, but we watched it every year. Um, and if you don't know The Wizard of Oz, you need to go find that movie immediately. After, no, not right now. I mean, but you know, after the service is over and, and, and watch it because it, it's an amazing story and there's so many good things in that movie. But if you don't know, Dorothy finds herself in Oz and then she comes along with a scarecrow and a tin man and a lion and they're off to see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Oz, right? And they, they follow the yellow brick road all the way there, and the tin man is hoping that he's going to get a heart, and the scarecrow thinks he's going to get a brain, and lion thinks he's going to get courage, and Dorothy hopes that she's going to go home to Kansas. And when they meet the great and powerful Oz, it's just this big, giant green head. It looks like an alien. And there's smoke and fire and this big booming voice. And he tells them to go basically get the wicked witch's uh, broom and kill the wicked witch. And then they come back and they show it. And then while they're talking to this great and powerful Oz, Toto, the little dog, pulls on the curtain. And behind the curtain you see the great and powerful Oz. It's just a man. Just a guy pretending to be great and powerful, pretending to be the wonderful wizard. Just a man. You know, I've talked to several people who believe that Jesus is like the Wizard of Oz. He's just a man. I don't know why you ascribe all this worship and religion to this man. He was just a man. Nothing more. And in fact, there are lots of books that have been coming out recently in the last decade that keep saying things like, Jesus is just a man. Some even say that he wasn't even just a man, that he didn't even exist, that it was all legend. But what we have to grapple with today, and that's what we're going to talk about today specifically, is what the scriptures say because if we, as a church, if we say we believe the scriptures, we have to admit that the scriptures are saying something very different than what those folks that I just talked about said. Because according to the scriptures, Jesus was more than just a man. Jesus was more than just a man. Now, it's possible that there are some who are even here or some that are watching that may be thinking, well, maybe the scriptures teach that, maybe they don't, but what does it matter? Because how do we know that your scriptures are true? And, and if, you're, 
if that's where you're coming from, I, I get it. I totally understand. There are numerous writings in our age that are considered scripture by somebody, right? And they're from numerous religions out there. And they all make claims, every single one of them, and they all can't be 100% true. They just can't. That would contradict. And, and then second, even if we could prove that all the other sacred writings are false, we can, you know, do apologetics or whatever, and we can say, oh yeah, well see, this is why the Muslim scriptures aren't true, and this is why the Hindu scriptures aren't true, and this is why the Jewish scriptures aren't true, and whatever it is you want to say, you can say all those things, but then that doesn't mean that the Christian scriptures are true. Just because you proved other things are false doesn't make one other thing true. And if that's where you're coming from, again, I get it. A healthy dose of skepticism can actually be good for all of us because it helps us to think about what we're being asked to believe. I dare say there are lots of Christians who have never really thought deeply about the claims of what is said about Jesus. They've just accepted it because they grew up in it. But they never really dived down deep and said, how can this be? And so, if you're being skeptical today, skepticize away. But I would encourage all of us, whether you're a believer or not, to investigate what the scriptures say and think seriously about the claims because if the claims of scripture are true, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to talk about that at the end. But rather than simply shrugging off what the claims of scripture are, let's, let's investigate. Let's, let's put on our investigator hats and let's read to see what it says. So, the scriptures claim that Jesus is more than just a man. And, and I think that's pretty clear if you read through the scriptures with an eye for it. I mean, the scriptures claim that Jesus was born of a virgin. That seems like that's more than just a regular guy. The scriptures claim that Jesus is someone who healed the sick and he cast out demons and even raised people from the dead. That's not your average Joe. The claim in Scripture is that Jesus performed miraculous feats, that he walked on water. I remember as a kid thinking, I'm going to try this. And when my family, when people would take me to uh, the river, because we didn't go to the beach, we we're poor. So we went to the river. And we tr I tried to walk on water. It doesn't work. No matter how much I tried, I could not make my feet stay on top of the water. But the scriptures claim that Jesus walked across the sea. That's not your average Joe. The scriptures also claim that Jesus, when he was in a boat with his disciples, and there's this huge storm just blowing around them, he just simply said, peace, be still, and everything got quiet. That's not your average guy. And then, of course, there's the most famous of all the claims about Jesus. Here's a man who was killed by crucifixion, put into a tomb, and then on Sunday morning, 
the tomb, the, the stone was rolled away, the tomb was empty, and people claimed to see that Jesus was actually alive. Okay? If all those claims are true, we're talking about someone more than just a man. I hope everybody can recognize that. I mean, all of these things, they're stunning. They're stunning claims about Jesus. But what John 1 says, I would argue, goes beyond stunning. It goes beyond just like, wow, that's interesting. It goes beyond what our minds can even fully comprehend because John 1 makes the claim, not that Jesus was just a man, wasn't just a man. He makes the claim that Jesus is God in the flesh. Does that not startle you some? And if you're not startled by that, you're not really thinking about it well. Not just Jesus was some miraculous person. Not that just God was with Jesus in some specific way so he was able to do amazing things. But that Jesus was not just a man. He was God in the flesh. Let's let's look at this. Again, I'm telling you, we're going to go through this slowly today. And and, and for some of you, you might be like, "Let's, let's hurry it up. I already know this. Just listen and let's think. Christmas is full of activity. We love to go, 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 go. And we need to slow down and really think about what the scriptures say about the one we call Lord. All right? So Jesus is God in the flesh. Let's look at John 1.1. It starts off with a strange statement. In the beginning was the word. Now, You've probably heard that phrase in the beginning before. If you've ever read through the Bible, or even if you started to read through the Bible and you never got past Leviticus, you still know that at the very beginning of the Bible, there are these three words, in the beginning. In Genesis 1.1. And what do we find out about in the beginning, in the beginning of the Bible? We read, in the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth. So when John is saying that there is something in the beginning called the Word, he's saying something very significant, very profound, because this Word existed before there was creation. That's what he's saying. That this Word, whatever this Word is, it existed before anything else was created. And that might cause us to scratch our heads a little bit because, you know, if you're a good Christian, you know only God existed before creation. But we're getting there. Then we read in verses 2 and 3 that he, this word, was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything that was made. All right, now, you should be at this point going, wait a second. According to the scriptures, only God was in the beginning. Only God was with God in the beginning. And only God created all that there is. So who is this word character? Right? And then we go back to verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Now we're really starting to scratch our heads, right? 
Because this word that pre-exists creation, this word that actually was the agent through which creation was made, was with God in eternity past, but in some way was distinct from God. Right? Isn't that what that means? With? With does not mean exact sameness. It means there's a distinction. But then John drops this bomb on our thoughts. And it, it, it is explosive because he goes on to say, verse 1 again, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If your head is spinning a little bit, from thinking about that, you're not the first to feel that way. Throughout history, people have grappled with this verse. People have tried to figure out what it means, what it's saying. John is basically saying that this word is some way distinct from God the Father, but at the same time is also God. I mean, in the words of that famous theologian, Keanu Reeves, whoa. That's a lot to take in. And it gets even woeier because as we read in verse 14, then John says, and the word became flesh. Not only is this word with God, but also equated with God, we also see that this word becomes flesh. It becomes human and he dwells among us and we see his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And at this point we realize, oh, John's talking about Jesus. That's a lot to take in, right? There's a lot of mystery here. I mean, First of all, there's the nature of God, that there's somehow one God, but there's also more than one person. That's a mystery. There's also this idea that Jesus is both God and man. How could it be that Jesus is both God and man? How is it that Jesus is God in the flesh? There's a lot of mystery here, because how can God be more than one person if he's only one God? How can God take on flesh? How can the infinite know what it means to be finite? How can the unlimited know limits? How can the exalted one know humility? How can the Almighty know weakness? How can the all-knowing one have ignorance? How can the most glorious one know shame? And how can the one in whom is true life know death? It's a lot of mystery. That's a lot of mystery that we as Christians say, this is what we believe. And yet, while there is much mystery, and I want everyone to hear this, while there is much mystery in how these particulars about Jesus work together, there is no contradiction. Okay? 
there is no contradiction, even though there's a lot of mystery here. And it's hard to parse out. It's hard for our minds to grasp. There is no contradiction. Now, I'm going to get all sciency on you for a minute, okay? Can you deal with that? If you feel like you're back in eighth grade, I'm sorry. But this is something that is going to hopefully help us to grapple with this truth a bit. Just because we're not able to explain something fully doesn't mean that it's a contradiction. For example, take a look at this picture. Now, if you're colorblind, I'm sorry. <laughs> you probably haven't, you're, what, it's a white screen. What are you talking about? Okay, you see these blue waves and you see these little dots of yellow. Now, that's to represent light. Is light a wave or a particle? It's both. That's what science says. Science, who likes its nice little neat, tidy boxes we put everything in. Science says that light is both a wave and a particle. It's, they call it the dual nature of light. Interesting, dual nature. Because that sounds a little bit like Jesus, who has a dual nature. All right? So we may not be able to explain how light is both a wave and a particle the same way we may not be able to understand how Jesus is fully God and fully man, how he is one person with two natures, but that's not necessarily a contradiction. Okay? Second, there are ways of explaining what may seem mysterious. to demonstrate that a contradiction is not necessarily involved. And theologians over the years have done this ad nauseum. I mean, they have done it a whole lot. You can buy books and books and books and books upon um, why this is not a contradiction. But let's think about that for a minute. What is a contradiction? A contradiction means that you make a statement. It cannot be both true and false at the same time. Right? I cannot be both married and unmarried at the same time in the same way. That's just that's the law of non-contradiction. Okay? I can't be both alive and dead at the same time in the same way because that violates the law of non-contradiction. So when we say that Jesus is fully God and fully man, how is it that we can say that that's not a contradiction? What we're saying, and like, let's put your thinking cap on because it's going to like involve some thinking. Jesus possessed all of the properties that made him God, and he also possessed all of the properties that made him a human being. But he's only one person. Mysterious, yes, but not a contradiction. And in order to help us to understand this, I'm going to have another, not, not yet, not yet for the slide, but I'm going, to, I'm going to give another illustration that I find humorous. And you probably will not, but I find it humorous because years ago, there was this book by John Hick. Maybe, you've heard, maybe some of you have heard his name. He was, he's famous for trying to uh, uh, deconstruct 
some of the thoughts of Christianity. And he wrote a book called The Myth of God Incarnate. And in that book, he said that trying to believe that Jesus is both God and man in one person is like trying to square a circle. Do you know what I mean by squaring a circle? Okay, now we can put the slide up, yeah. So, here's a square and a circle. You cannot make that circle a square, no matter how you try, because a circle is round and a square has right angles. You cannot have a circle with right angles, and you cannot have a square that doesn't have right angles. So you cannot make a square a circle or a circle a square. So it sounds like John Hicks right, but the problem is he's not thinking about the incarnation the right way because he's saying that God was one thing and he changed into something else when the incarnation is saying that God took on flesh. Right? That he assumed something, that he brought into, some, into himself something that he previously did not have. It did not change his divine nature, but it made him Christ, who is both God and a human being. So you can think about a square and a circle being um, united like this. See? See how easy that was? That's why I find it humorous, because John Hick is like this famous philosopher, and I'm like, dude, you're not even thinking about it right. It's really kind of simple. Now, this doesn't explain everything, and it doesn't solve all the problems that come with how can you be both God and man in one person, but it does show that you can have something that remains a circle and remains a square, and yet it's one shape, one item, one entity. So how can we say that being both God and man in one person is necessarily contradictory? We can't. All right, theology lesson over. But it is important for us to understand these things, that it's not contradictory, even though it's mysterious, and we'll try to talk through some of these things over the next few weeks, but it's not contradictory, it is mysterious, but the important thing to realize is that this, this, this serious point that I tried to make at the very beginning and then I paused and said we're gonna talk about it later, this is it. If these scriptural claims are true, if what we're saying, if what scripture says about Christ, about the Word made flesh, about God in the flesh, about Jesus, are true, we dare not ignore Jesus. I mean, think about it. If God is not watching us from a distance, but he actually came to earth in the flesh to be with us, if our creator didn't just create everything and just leave it as it is, but he actually came to dwell in his creation. If the God who is actually sustaining all things at the moment by the word of his power, as the scriptures say, actually entered into the human world and walked among people, don't you think we ought to take notice? 
don't you think we ought to say, whoa, we've been visited by our God. That's what it means to say that God is Emmanuel, that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. This is part of the good news of the kingdom, that God has come to his people in the flesh. If we ignore Jesus or we, or we say, well, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't know whether he's God or not, but I'm just going to live my own life, then we're sort of like the story of a security guard at a bank that I heard about recently. It's a great story. So he's a new security guard at a bank, and he's working the night shift. And while he's there, he's walking around in the bank, and he hears a noise in the vault. And he goes to the vault, and it's open. And there are two guys standing in the vault. And he walks up to them, and he pulls out his gun, and he says, hold it right there. And the guy says, don't you know who I am? And he's like, no, but I know you're in the bank at night, and you're not supposed to be. Get on your knees. I'm calling the police. And the guy said, I'm the owner of this bank. I'm the president of this company. And he didn't believe him. And he called the police in. And when the police got there, one of the police officers recognized him and said, what are you doing, man? This guy's the president of the company. You can't put him on his knees like that and arrest him. What are you, what's wrong with you? That's what we're doing when we ignore Jesus. Because God came in the flesh. He's the president of all. The Lord over everything. And we're saying, nah, I don't believe you. Nah, I think you're just joshing me. Nah, I think you're just a legend or something. When he's right there in the flesh saying, here I am, believe. So, what do we get, do with this? I want to give you an action point. And I want you to promise me that you'll actually do it. Here's what I want you to do. Take time. Take the time to consider who Jesus really is. Now, you may be saying, well, that's not, that's not that hard. Well, think about it. Remember what I said earlier about Christmas time, about December, how busy we are? I was just at a soccer game yesterday. And I was talking to another pastor who was sitting near me. And we started talking about what our Decembers are like. And both of us admitted, and, and what yesterday was the fourth, both of, both of us admitted we wish December was already over. Because it's so busy with services and parties and concerts and this person inviting me to do this and shopping and presents and putting up decorations and, and none of those things are bad. In fact, all of those things can be good, but we fill up our time with lots of activity and we miss what the season is supposed to be really about. We forget Christmas isn't 
about presents and decorations and concerts and parties. All those are ways of celebrating what's really central. That God became flesh and dwelt with us so that we could be made right with him. So that's what I want you to do. I want you to take the time to think about Jesus. Whatever you got to do, take the time. One last thing, and then we'll close and get ready for the uh, Lord's Supper. I was reading recently about um, the, we'll call it the epidemic, not of COVID, but of a holiday depression holiday depression. That during the holidays, I know it's a time of joy and peace for many, but also for a lot of other people, it's a time where you start feeling down, lowly, depressed. One of the reasons why depression happens, and I'm speaking from experience, is that we Here's a big word. We ruminate about things. We ruminate. We think about it. We, it's like a cow chewing the cud. We just think about it over and over and over again. And usually those thoughts are negative thoughts. You know, I'm no longer with my loved one at Christmas. I'm really going to miss them. And we just think about that over and over and over again. Or... Nobody loves me. Nobody's around me. I'm all alone at Christmas. Nobody wants me a part, as a part of their family or part of their friends. I'm just here by myself. And you just ruminate on that. You chew it over and over and over again. And that's where holiday depression can really get to us. What if we flip the script and instead of ruminating about the bad things, what if we ruminated? What if we chewed over God came in the flesh to bring me to himself? God came to our earth in order to save me and bring me into his family. God came in the flesh and he died on a cross and he rose from the dead so that I could be his. What if we ruminated about that and got lost in the wonder and awe of a God who would put on flesh to be like us. Maybe this really would be a much more joyful Christmas for all of us. So that's my challenge to you all. Let's slow down enough this Christmas season to ruminate not about the bad stuff, but about Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord, we're thankful. We're thankful that you are a God who has loved us well. And you've shown that love in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And in order for Christ to die for us, he first had to be made flesh. Lord, this is a mystery. And I know I've only really scratched the surface of how deep this mystery goes, and yet 
at the same time, I pray that for me and for all these people that we really would get a glimpse of the wonder and the awe and the majesty of what it means for you, Jesus, to be God in the flesh. That we really would ruminate about that, that we would chew it over this season, that we would not get so involved in Christmas activities that we forget that the activities are meant to point us to you, the Christ. Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.